Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. Look this morning at verses 10 to 14. Philippians 3, 10 to 14. Good to see you all. Good to see so many that I haven't seen for a while. It's my great privilege to bring God's word to you one more time today. We're people who measure our lives in time and in events. So the end of one year and the past of another is a significant milestone. And the end of one season in life and the beginning of another is also a significant milestone. So on this last Sunday of 2019, this last Sunday of my official tenure as your pastor, it would seem appropriate to consider how we should view what's behind us and what we should pursue for the future. So come with me to this text which seems made for a morning like this. Philippians chapter 3, let me read verse 10 to 14. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained all this, obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Two simple little truths here. First is this. Forget the past. Forget the past. That's the simple truth set forth in verse 13, forgetting what is behind. Now, I know we've all heard the warning that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. I never intend to say that we should forget everything we've learned and now make the same mistakes next year that we made last year. Obviously, we grow and learn and hopefully don't just keep repeating the same problems. When God says forget the past, he's talking about our tendency to live in the past and warning us not to let the past wreck the present and the future. In olden days, 100 years or so ago when I flew airplanes, we had a saying that said there's nothing as useless as the runway behind you. In other words, when you encounter a problem, thinking about what you should have done a minute ago, where you could have put this thing on the ground a few miles back, how you might have handled it, how you wish you had handled it, that's totally useless. All you can do is deal with what's ahead of you. And that's the sense in which our text is saying, forget the past and deal with what's ahead of us. Now, there are a couple of different ways in which we need to forget the past. First, we need to forget and let go of the sin of the past. Our life in Christ Jesus presumes and demands a break with our sinful past. Romans 6, 
Verse 2 says, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We cannot live a godly life and continue in the same old sin. But here we're called not just to abandon the sinning we did in the past, but to stop letting even the memory of our sin hold sway over us. In our attempt to try to figure out what has gone wrong, what's my problem, how did I get into this mess, we often make the failures of our past part of our very identity. We become the person with such and such a problem. But in doing so, we're refusing to let go of that, to forget it, to let it be. Certainly we ought to be wary of a trap that once once caught us, but This text says, forget it and go on. Let go of your sinful past. As we're about to start a new year, perhaps some of you need to hear again what God says of his children's past sin. In Psalm 103, he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jeremiah 31, 34, which is then repeated twice more in the New Testament, The Lord says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. God can forget, you can too. In 1 Corinthians 6, there's a warning and an assurance. A warning, first of all, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or male prostitutes or homosexual offenders or thieves or the greedy or drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a warning. The next word is an assurance. And that's what some of you were, but you're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. This morning I announced to you on the authority of God's word. If you're trusting in Jesus death on the cross for the payment of your sins, you can forget about them. Let them go. God remembers them no more, and neither must you. In our little Advent blogs that we wrote, Noah Lovgren summed this up so well, I have to pass it on. She wrote, our sins are gone forever. God has covered them. Our inward battle with sin has a sure victory. Peace can reign in our hearts because Christ came to earth, died, and rose again. God says, tell my church, I took care of all that. I covered it. I washed it away. The burden of sin is just a forgotten nightmare. It's gone. Not a trace can be seen or remembered. So forget the past. Forget your sin. In Jesus, you are forgiven. Oh, but before we move on, there's something else about the past we need to forget. We need to forget and let go of our accomplishments. Now, I don't want to take away from what we just said about forgetting our sin. That's important. That's the gospel. But in this particular text, talking about forgetting the past, the issue is the Apostle Paul's struggle to let go of his righteous Uh, accomplishments. When God says forget the past, he's not just talking about the sin that's now forgiven. He's calling us to forget all the good things that we've done. 
the very things that we think will get a special uh, favor with God. God is saying, get over yourself. Forget your achievements. They buy you nothing. This becomes really clear when we look at the whole context of this text. Back in verse 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about not putting confidence in the flesh and all his reasons for such confidence. (coughs) Then in verses 5 to 7, he um, spells them out. His godly heritage, his conformity to God's law, his zeal for God, his impeccable obedience to God's word. And then in verse 7, he says, whatever was to my prophet, that is his very righteous life, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. His goal, according to verse 9, was to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from keeping the law. In other words, Paul had to learn to get over himself, to forget his past achievements, his confidence in his spiritual accomplishments, his zeal for keeping God's law was the very thing that kept him from Christ. He had to come to consider it all garbage. Let it go. Throw it away. So this morning, I'm not just calling you to forget about the sins of 2019. I'm calling you to forget about the successes of 2019. They're history. If God used you, if God used me, well, isn't that wonderful? But it gives us nothing to take pride in. So forget about it. Because of Jesus, we're forgiven. We're now called the children of God. And that's all that matters. That's all we need. In his famous hymn, and you all know the, this hymn, Horatius Bonar reminded us what our attitude should be. Here's how it goes. I'll read you the words. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not all my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can ease my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease the weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. And because Jesus promises such restoration, I can forget everything else. I can forget the sin that needed forgiveness. I can forget the scars that it left on my memory. I can forget the good works with which I tried to patch up the mess that I created. I can forget it all and go on. Which brings us to our second point. Strive to know Christ. Strive to know Christ. Our first point was about how we're to deal with 2019. Our second point is about what we're to expect and do in 2020. With a brand new year before us, this text calls us to press forward, to strive to know the Lord Jesus. When we considered how we're made holy, how we're sanctified, there are a couple of dangerous errors that always float around in the church, wrong ideas that lurk on either side of the truth. It's kind of like walking the straight and narrow path between a snake pit over here and an alligator swamp over here, and you'd want to not step in either one of those. One of the wrong ideas 
we'll call this the snake pit, can be characterized this way. Well, God gave me a second chance, and now it's up to me. This view admits that God saved us purely by his grace, but now, according to this view, God has given me the law, and my job is to keep the law, take advantage of this undeserved second chance. In other words, God started it, but it's up to me to make it happen. Don't you believe it? That's a snake pit, folks. The rich young ruler said he kept all the commandments from his youth. He did not have eternal life. He did not have eternal life. On the other side of this narrow path of truth is the opposite view. We might call it the let go and let God view. This is the notion that in the Christian life, any effort on our part, any effort, it's a fleshly thing. We're just called to rest in Christ and let his Holy Spirit make us holy. According to this view, the minute we start doing something to promote growth and holiness, we stop trusting Jesus. In other words, we just need to let go. Let God do it. Don't believe it. Yes, God does it all. Jesus said to the crowd following him, why do you call me Lord, 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 but you don't do what I say? You can't say I just trust him and call him Lord and I have no responsibility. This passage teaches us something different than either one of those. Not we're saved by grace and sanctified by keeping the law, nor does it teach just let go and let God make me holy. Here we're taught active faith. Active faith trusting. We're commanded to forget the past, including specifically our righteous deeds. Trust Jesus for all of that. But then we're also commanded to diligently press on toward maturity in Christ. Actually, you can see this active faith in the words that are used here. The word translated press on is used both in verse 12 and verse 14. This is a strikingly powerful word. It is actually most often translated persecute. For it speaks of the zealous pursuit of something like zealots driven by hatred. But of course, here it's not used to describe hatred. It's used to describe the zealous pursuit of Christ's likeness, press on toward Christ. That's active, zealous faith. Then in verse 12, we find another powerful word, press on to take hold of. This is a hunting picture, like some of you guys would go deer hunting. The sense is to pursue in order to capture. Both of those words are very active. They're strong expressions of concentrated effort. Press on to take hold of Christ. Then verse 13 uses another key word, straining toward what lies ahead. Here the Apostle Paul is pictured in our Christian life as that of an athlete with a finish tape right there in sight and you're exhausted and you're tired and you've about run out of gas, but we strain with every ounce of energy in pursuit of the prize. 
Not exactly a passive picture, is it? God is calling us to strive toward the goal, to make every effort to press on toward knowing Christ. Well, this is not the only time the Bible speaks this way. There's a, there's a, a wonderfully interesting and difficult passage in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Wow. When we think of violence, we just assume this is an evil thing. But Jesus uses the word without any evil or destructive connotation. It simply has the sense of pursuing victory in a conflict. You're at war, you're pursuing victory, projecting force, moving or acting with great strength, being impelled forward, being driven by a passion for victory. So we are to strive to know Christ. This is the same challenge that the Apostle Peter sets before us in 2 Peter 1. Let me read a little bit of it, verses, starting in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here Peter describes the life of active faith as a building project. Look at the powerful active words. Make every effort. Be all the more eager. Do these things. He's talking about building something that lasts. Placing godly building stones one on the other on the other. Faith then goodness, then knowledge, and self-control, and patience, and godliness, and, and, and brotherly kindness, and love. With just such passion and diligence, we are to labor to build Christ's likeness. Brothers and sisters, there's a new year ahead of us. What will we do with it? Will we drone on through our perfunctory Christian duties, consoling ourselves that we have a pretty good life, we've kept the law better than a lot of people? Will we sit back and wait for the Spirit to move us in some mystical way involving no planning or effort on our part? Or will we do what God's Word commands? Stop going through the motions while our hearts are indifferent. Instead, diligent. Pursue knowing and serving the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost, no matter what must change, no matter where it might take us, not trusting ourselves, not trying to establish our own righteousness, but believing that the gospel is worth the investment of everything we have and everything we are. So with active faith, we're to press on to know Christ with the persistence that we might have if we were out deer hunting, with the discipline 
and perseverance of a marathon runner, with the determination of a soldier fighting for the homeland, with the planning and hard work of a master builder, press on, pursue the goal, spare nothing, strive to know Christ Jesus. That was the Apostles Paul's stated goal in the very first verse we read. Let me read again. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. This last Sunday of 2019, this last Sunday of my official tenure as your pastor, I set before you, and I set before my very own self, a simple but profound challenge. Forget the past. Let it go. Both the shame of your sin and the pride of your accomplishments. Get over yourself. And now, strive to know Christ. Press on with an active faith that neither trusts your own efforts to bring about God's work or sits back and assumes that you have no responsibility. Press on with grateful zeal, appropriate for one who's been rescued by the grace of the Savior. Make the apostles' resolution your own. I want to know Christ. God, make it true. Amen. Oh, Father, we, we have so much that our heads are full of, of all our failures that cripple us and all of our good works that make us proud. Father, we need to listen to what you've told us here, not to sit and do nothing, but not to think we can make it happen, but, Lord, to actively trust you and do what you say, walk in your ways, to press on, to strive to know you, Lord Jesus, in ways that we have not yet known you. Father, would you make that happen in us? Set that goal as a goal of our hearts. Do in us what we're not strong enough even to do in ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.